Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Yo, it's good New York. This is Jack Devine, he, him, and you are listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI 99.5 FM, a socialist radio show and podcast from the members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. Today, we are talking to Emmy and Ariel, organizers from the Marshalls. The Marshalls are the people who facilitate our direct actions. They help us make sure that we know uh, what is going on when we take the streets and that everyone stays safe. And of course, tomorrow is May Day. We'll be talking about NYC DSA's action in support of immigrants and workers. But first, the headlines. This is Lee Zishi with the headlines from The Thorn. The state legislature is currently considering nine different bills addressing the expiration of New York's rent laws this year. The state assembly will be holding public hearings on the issue this week in Manhattan. Check out previous episodes of Revolutions Per Minute to learn more about DSA's organizing for universal rent control. Public defenders and criminal justice advocates want New York City district attorneys to make public their list of police officers with credibility problems. The Philadelphia DA office made public a similar list last year. Tiffany Caban and two other candidates in this year's Queens DA race have pledged to release the list if elected. State Senator Jessica Ramos endorsed Tiffany Caban for Queens DA. Ramos, who defeated IDC member Jose Peralta last year, has sponsored legislation to decriminalize sex work. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty endorsed current borough president Melinda Katz for Queens DA. In a brutal move of capitalism, the city is considering a plan to demolish two NYCHA buildings and replace them with private developments to meet budget shortfalls. Seven members of Sunrise Movement New York City were arrested today outside of Senator Chuck Schumer's office in Midtown Manhattan. They blocked the entrance to Schumer's office while calling on him to co-sponsor the resolution for a Green New Deal being championed by Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. In response to debates that stemmed from a recent CNN town hall for Democratic presidential candidates, Governor Cuomo stated that he opposes granting incarcerated people the right to vote. And according to a federal appeals court ruling, ICE may have violated immigrant right advocate Ravi Ragbir's free speech when it attempted to deport him last year. And those were the headlines from The Thorn. Thank you, Lee, for a great job reading the headlines. Our daily headlines are brought to you with the Bolivarian Revolution and also solidarity with the anti-austerity Honduran protesters fighting against a right-wing government that was installed by the Obama administration um, nearly a decade ago. So today we are going to be talking about May Day, International Workers' Day. And in the studio with us, we have Ariel and Emmy, who are both members of the Marshals. Uh, so, Ariel, do you want to introduce yourself and uh, you know why you tell us why you joined DSA, why you got involved specifically with the Marshals, um, and anything else you'd like to include? Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm Ariel Zacharyson. Uh, you share they pronouns. Um, so I joined DSA uh, right after the inauguration, the Trump inauguration. Um, after volunteering some on the Bernie campaign and um, being really frustrated with just what was available as far as like, you know, the political scene broadly in America um, was sort of always kind of a socialist in some respects, um, but didn't really realize that it was like a feasible path forward until for the United States until like I found DSA, like a friend brought me to a happy hour and that was that. Um, And so initially I got involved with the Labor and Strike Solidarity Working Group um, that ended up, um, or that working group, we ended up organizing the May Day rally that took place in May 2017, um, just because it made sense we were working um, on a solidarity campaign with a laundry worker center. 
organizing who are organizing the BNH uh, photo warehouse workers um, on their like long-running, ongoing labor dispute that they had with that company. Um, so we did a rally with those workers earlier in the day, and then we had a march from Union Square to Lower Manhattan that evening. Um, so that working group sort of like did a lot of the logistics for the march. Obviously, there were a bunch of groups involved and a lot of different people from DSA. We didn't have like an official marshal team. We just had people kind of jumping in, closing intersections, um, sort of you know ad hoc, figuring it out day of. Um, and then, um, you know, that was great. It was a big action. It was kind of chaotic, but it was good. Um, then the following August, Charlottesville happened, um, and NYCDSA wanted to throw together really quickly a solidarity rally um, the weekend following that or the Sunday following that rally. Um, so the current, or at the time, the co-chair of NYCDSA called me up and was like, look, um, since you helped organize this for May Day, can you help put a team of marshals together for this action really quickly? There's a couple other organizations that were there working with us, actually quite a few, um, ISO, Socialist Alternative, lots of other folks. Um, so we were all just trying to get like clutches of marshals ready to go to help out day of. Um, there was a rally in Union Square. There was a march uptown. There wasn't really a defined march route. Um, things kind of went south. It was a huge contingent. People were really upset. People were really, you know, justifiably nervous about what was going to happen. Um, everybody was very on edge. The march sort of, like I said, got split up into different chunks. Some people were zigzagging up the island. The cops were also really on edge um, and very aggressive. And things just sort of fell apart. We didn't have a good way to communicate. Folks were using signal, and there was this, this huge, like, text message string that was completely out of control. <laughs> um, so after this action where, you know, like some people from the contingent got hurt, um, there was police brutality, NYPD wasn't, you know, they're pretty unreasonable and difficult to deal with. Um, so after that, a couple of us got together, had a meeting, um, and decided that we needed a formal structure to sort of be able to have street actions, especially unplanned ones, ones that were planned very quickly, snap actions, um, go off a lot better than this, keep people safe, um, and be more organized and effective in the streets and make people feel like they could come out to an action and there would be some sort of a plan, people would know what was going on, and more than anything to create a communication network, because that was kind of what brought us down, is that we had sections of people who didn't know what was going on and couldn't communicate with one another. And so that was really kind of the main focus of what we wanted to fix is being able to communicate and function as a you know, large body to be in the streets in a more effective way. What's, what's interesting about the framing there is like both when you were discussing about getting involved in DSA on like the big scale, but then also specifically the marshals, it was like seeing the need for organizing either for building socialism or in the specific tactical instance of when you're, you know, trying to have an effective direct action, you need organizers, you need people who are prepared um, and ready to go and deal with all the contingencies that arrive. Um, so, Emmy, uh, what about yourself? Uh, so I've been with the Marshall team um, about, I think, a year and a half now. Um, so for, for most of its history, not quite all of it. Um, I had been in DSA for some time before that. I joined around the end of um, 2015, uh, kind of at the end of the, the Bernie Sanders, the first Bernie Sanders campaign, I guess I have to say now. Um, and to the question of like why I joined the Marshall team um, specifically, I was already you know, obviously like doing the work of DSA, um, especially immigrant justice work, which we'll be talking more about later. Um, but I, I think looking back for me, you know, I don't even remember specifically what the actions were, but I remember the feeling of coming to New York. Um, I'd done a couple actions before, but they were very tiny, but coming to New York and being a part of like really massive, um, really powerful marches and rallies here in the city were like incredibly empowering um, experiences for me, like really transformative experiences, like the, the experience of, you know, taking the street and just being surrounded by, um, by people who are there like for our cause, like in the streets, physically together. Um, so that was something that I was kind of like, I. I really love this, and I want to work on this. Um, and I had also, by that point, you know, 
been part of plenty of actions where, um, you know, in hindsight, like those actions could have used marshals. Um, they were, you know, sort of loose or confusing or um, unsafe at times. Um, and so I was really excited to get involved with the Marshall program because I was like, this is, you know, this is something that like on, you know, just a very kind of like, um, like it's something that I really enjoy doing and it's something that I really feel strongly about, about like um, supporting these direct actions, um, street actions, marches and rallies and all of that. Um, and helping people to feel as empowered as possible um, when they're doing these things in the streets, I think. Yeah, so that there's a real kind of like basis of like building the solidarity and also like you can learn from one direct action and build upon that. Like if there's a sort of, if there's organizers there, not just in the moment, obviously makes it better, makes things safer for people, but it also gives people an opportunity to reflect on how something was organized and like how the organization can grow based off of that. Um, uh, something that uh, you mentioned in the origin story was like the key role that like Charlottesville played because yeah. we're talking today mostly about you know a great celebration of uh, the International Workers Movement, International Workers Day, um, but Charlottesville originated as a unite the right, the opposite. Yeah. Our yeah. our open enemies, I guess, is the best way to frame it, and I, I think um, it's like. Like, why did why is Charlottesville so important for like revealing the importance of marshals and confronting um, our like the most vicious and violent aspects of society in the streets through like peaceful actions of solidarity on our side? Well, there's, there's one big. I think there's a lot of answers to that question, but one key thing is that if there is an organized presence from the left and the right knows that that's going to happen after Charlottesville, the right doesn't show up um, or they show up in very small numbers. And so we're able to, you know, suppress a lot of, you know, just hatred that people might want to demonstrate in the streets simply by being like, okay, if you're going to have a rally, you know, of, you know, neo-Nazis or whomever, um, of Proud Boys, you know, then we're here, we have a plan, <laughs> you know, and we're able to, you know, isolate you, draw attention to you if you're in our spaces or if you show up to our actions. Of course, people can go wherever they want, but we can make the alt-right or whomever would fall into that camp who want to show up and, you know, cause problems or hurt people or spew hatred. Um, we can shut that down and make them look very foolish. Yeah, don't give them a place to be yeah, no. feel comfortable because <laughs> yeah. their whole purpose is to make everyone who's not them feel uncomfortable. Absolutely, yeah. So it's yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that's a really important way of framing it and kind of highlighting how important like doing anti-fascist direct action organizing is, and that it's not some joke. It's very serious and core part of what we're going to, if we want to really, you know, build a society, uh, build a socialist society, if we want to really confront all of the hierarchies and domination, we can't just give fascists an open playing field to yeah. do what they want. And, and the other, the other thing, I mean, there's, there's street actions, there's direct action, there's marches, but the other place where this really comes up is meetings and events in DSA. Um, so we have marshals at most branch meetings, at most of our large events, anything where we think there's any kind of a risk of somebody showing up and disrupting. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's, you know, not something we keep secret. And so, hopefully that makes people feel more safe to attend so that they know that somebody isn't going to show up and disrupt. It takes pressures off the organizers of an event so they can focus on organizing and we can kind of keep an eye on, you know, keeping folks out who shouldn't be there um, and making, you know, marginalized folks or more vulnerable folks feel like they can participate. Yeah, and I would just add, um, I mean, kind of the the core of the marshal team is the protest marshals, you know, the, the people who you actually see um, sort of like holding the intersections when we're doing a march, um, the people um, there to help um, direct and support an action in the street. But the marshal team is also more than that. Like we're also, um, as Ariel mentioned, like if there's any possibility of arrest, like we're, you know, taking care of that preemptively, like making sure that we have people's information, making sure that we have a plan in place for jail support. Um, we also do like information security. Like that's honestly one of the um, biggest, if not the biggest, threats to the chapter is like threats to people online, um, people's 
privacy um, or, you know, their information, um, sort of online security, especially with social media. Um, so, I mean, marshalling is really um, about not just like that most visible part of it um, at direct actions, but sort of in various ways. It's about like the security and the well-being of our members and making sure that we are that we have people watching out for each other and that we are helping people know how to do that, how to watch out for each other um, and how to you know, keep each other safe. And again, all of that is to the goal of um, empowering people as much as possible to go out there and be radical and be effective and be forceful together. Yeah, it's like um, there's a lot of like invisible labor that goes into yeah. like making a march or direct action, any sort of street action, like work and effective. And I think it's one just really important to like be thankful as someone on the left and recognize that it's not just always about you know uh, saying your opinion about something. Like there's a lot of work that people have to do to make these actions work, and these actions are so necessary for us to like build power um, or even just in certain circumstances like defend people who are under attack. Like and. I think the the notion of, of safety and solidarity, I think that you're both talking about, is really critical. Um, if people don't feel safe going to something, then they won't show up, and then we're letting the other side win because mm. we win by we have the numbers, yeah. <laughs> so we have to be able to show our strength. Yeah. yeah, and 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 one thing in New York too is the the cops. I think I can't speak for both of us, but you know we've been to enough protests to know that the cops are not there to keep left is safe um mm -hmm. that's not their function and that's not what they're there to do and we can't guarantee anybody's safety but we can provide people with the information that they can use to make the best decisions for themselves within the circumstances that everybody happens to be in and trying to keep people out of circumstances that are you know unnecessarily risky so i think uh your you mentioning police violence is a great way to make a transition into our next segment but first i just want to remind everyone that you are listening to revolutions per minute on listener sponsored wbai and new york city broadcasting at 99.5 fm and streaming on your favorite podcast app to connect with us after the show you can email us at uh, revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or sign up for a newsletter to get links to what we uh, are about on the show uh, you can do that on our website revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com and you can also find us on twitter at nycrpm today we are talking about managing protests making sure that they are safe and effective and we are celebrating i guess a little preemptively um may day also known as international workers day so um, a lot of people uh, don't uh, because uh, in this country, you know, there's a big effort to erase a lot of the radical labor history, a lot of radical left history. A lot of people don't know about the origins of May Day. Uh, would either of you uh, want to kick off the conversation? Sure. Um, yeah, this is something that a lot of people don't know, even though May Day is actually like celebrated in a lot of other countries in a much more um, like mainstream and widespread way than it is here in the US and other like especially social democracies um, in Europe and such but it actually originated here uh, in the US it's just been much more repressed here um, so uh, yeah I guess to kick off um, May Day kind of dates back to uh, 1886 um, which was a a time in the U.S. was during the Gilded Age. Um, literally, historians call this the Gilded Age because it was a moment of such rampant inequality, which might sound familiar to <laughs> today. Yeah, we don't know anything so, about uh, that. <laughs> yeah, it was just massive off-the-charts um, inequality and, um, you know, unsurprisingly, also a time of enormous upheaval and crisis. Um, and a lot of, sir, we see the first, um, like, modern organized labor movement um, sort of springing up at this time. And uh, in 1886, there was a massive nationwide strike. Uh, hundreds of thousands of workers went out on strike, and Chicago in particular um, 
was an epicenter of this strike. Um, and primarily it was for the eight hour day. Uh, I think that there were other demands as well, but this was like the real rallying cry at the time um, was the eight hour day. Uh, and so yeah. there was uh, at the, the McCormick Reaper plant in Chicago on May mm. 3rd or 4th. Um, I don't have the exact date in front of me, um, but there was a sort of particularly brutal put down of the strike there. There was a lockout of the strikers. Um, strike breakers were brought in uh, and strikers were beaten and such. Um, so there's a lot of brutality. And then um, on May 4th, I think it was, at Haymarket Square, which is a, a name that might be familiar to some people already, Haymarket, um, both sort of as part of this uh, massive nationwide strike um, and also particularly uh, in protest of the brutal um, the brutal strike breaking that had happened at the McCormick Reaper plant the day before, uh, there was a big rally in Haymarket Square. And kind of as the rally was already dispersing, uh, a bomb went off. And to this day, no one actually knows who threw that bomb. Um, but the police, who had already been kind of um, like claiming to hear incitements to violence in the crowd, even though it was totally peaceful and were already, you know, um, being very confrontational, even though, again, like this was a totally peaceful um, demonstration and it was, in fact, already dispersing at this time. Um, this was like 10 o'clock or so at night. Um, but this bomb went off and the police started basically uh, just firing into the crowd. Um, people died. Uh, police officers also died, although there's pretty good consensus that uh, they died by friendly fire, so that's on yeah, them. Spraying bullets everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't look, but. Um, and so, so that became known as the Haymarket Massacre. Um, and ever since then, um, we have celebrated May Day, May 1st, which was the beginning of this strike, um, as a kind of international day um, to celebrate worker struggle, to celebrate um, what we're struggling for, um, but also kind of in, in commemoration of the sacrifice um, and the brutality that was directed against these organizers. Um, and in the wake of that day of Haymarket, um, 10, I believe it was 10 anarchists were arrested, something like eight were convicted and four were actually hanged. Um, the other four who were convicted, I believe, like a few years later had their sentences commuted. Um, but four people were hanged in the wake of this, um, and there was not evidence to tie any of them. Again, to this day, we don't know where that bomb came from. Um, it might very well have come from a cop. Um, and I think it's re it's really important to note that this wasn't like some unique phenomenon that, yeah. oh, this was just like the one time that the, the police or um, one of these big companies used violence to break strikes. Mm -hmm. the, that's... Uh, the United States was actually uniquely violent in its industrialization, that we were the only um, major country in the world at that time. And I don't think any other countries really reached this level unless they're, uh, these are private, they have private armies that are funded by the United States right now, um, where there were private armies like the Pinkertons yeah. that would be hired by corporations that would come in to kill workers and break strikes. And the federal government did this as well. Many police forces in this country, if they were not formed um, as part of a slave uh, catching operation um, in the antebellum period, were after the Civil War formed primarily for the purpose of breaking up strikes. Yeah. And so, this country, a lot of like when you, whenever you hear like some libertarian or right wing person talk about the free market or capitalism as somehow separate from the state and from violence, they are just making things up. They're erasing history. Capital and industrialism in this country, they built their power on destroying the lives of workers who were organizing just so that they could have eight, eight hours off uh, during the day. So they have some free time. 
they didn't have to completely sell their lives away to these um, robber barons who had enough, had more wealth than like most mm-hmm. countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, um, horrendous, but interesting. Like to to look at this sort of in the context of like the history of policing um, and how, yeah, as you were saying, like the police at that time were, you know, there's like a lot of blurring between sort of public and private police. Um, and it's kind of, I think it was roughly in that period um, that uh, the people who benefited from this sort of figured out that they could um, sort of create this like illusion of public safety in order to simply offload uh, the cost of breaking strikes um, and the cost of police from their own private pockets when they were paying, um, you know, literally just like private police, like mercenaries, the Pinkertons or whoever, um, to the public and get the public to pay for their own uh, oppression at the hands of the police. Yeah, public safety is yeah. it's a word that you have to interrogate like very deeply in the U.S. because it's it's normally public safety really means breaking worker power and white supremacy to maintain the second uh, class uh, status of either black Americans or, as we'll be talking about later, uh, migrants who are undocumented or even migrants who are not undocumented but still face the violence as if they they were. And and I think like just bringing this in, one this is an important point to point out or thing to point out is that a lot of the radicals who were participating in these early protests and going forward all the way to Sacco Fancetti in the twenties, um, these are immigrants, um, and a lot of the folks responsible for radicalizing the American labor um, force, the American workforce at that point. These are like radicals from other countries coming into the United States and trying to improve things for the working class here, of which they were a part. So, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we fast forward a little bit, as you just did, to like the World War One and the, the post-war era, the, the basically the apparatus of deportation um, and like border security grew out of this environment of like let's. Um, divide the working class will say will you know take all this animosity towards these radical immigrant organizers in order to break up the power um, and maintain the rule of capital that is like a really critical thing to mention like how deeply like anti-immigration rhetoric and policy in this country is tied into like the real amazing organizing work that people like like Emma, Emma Goldman mm-hmm. uh, were doing um, in trying to build worker power in this country. So um, we're about to go to a pre-recorded segment that uh, we took um, from an art build that we held, uh, DSA held uh, on Sunday. And I think um, I just want to mention that, uh, and we'll, it'll be played in the clip, that you know, design and art is not something that's secondary to a movement. It's really critical and a huge part of making, you know, not just a protest um, great while you're there, but really kind of get something into your mind. It really tr- like uh, translates ideas so you can kind of uh, take uh, an image that, you know, speaks a thousand words and see both, uh, see the world that we want to transform our society into. Um, So let's go to this clip. Uh, You'll primarily be hearing from Ethan, who is always helping us out uh, behind the scenes. I'm Ethan. I am our, I'm NYC DSA's uh, social media coordinator um, on the media working group OC. Um, and I've been pretty involved with the um, media planning subcommittee, uh, just trying to get there, you know, doing a lot on the social end um, to try to get, uh, you know, to galvanize the response as much as we can. We want a, a big turnout. Um, we always want a big turnout, but especially for May Day, um, it being sort of our big holiday. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, with respect to, like, Jeez, with respect to art and uh, you know, just like direct action and, and, and protest and things like that, like when you when you leave some of these rallies, when you leave some of these events, like um, a lot of what you remember is is, is the art 
you know, more so than the speakers or any of the things that are said specifically. Remember the imagery, um, the emotions, um, uh, the feelings that people convey, uh, not only through things like chanting um, and, uh, you know, things that they do with their actual bodies, putting them on the line and uh, coming out to strikes, coming out to things like protests. Um, but yeah, with um, you know the expressions that they they put into their messages and their messaging, um, that's something you have to take into consideration, like from a social media perspective as well as just from a general art perspective. Um, uh, you know, you want things that are going to be memorable, that are going to be evocative. Um, uh, you know, people will take these signs home and. Uh, you know, we don't always get back everything we, we give out. Um, but yeah, like, you know, these, these are things that, you know, people hold on to. Um, it's a very physical representation of people's beliefs, I think. Um, and, and it can be, you know, sort of a beautiful one as well. Um, uh, you know, one that, you know, they hang up in their homes and, and, and you know, places of work even. Uh, if they're so lucky. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as far as as far as my involvement with this has been, it's been more on this sort of like the digital end and the physical art sort of end. Um, uh, you know, and that that's equal parts, uh, you know, informational and informative. So in a very sort of like utilitarian fashion, we wanna, you know, be able to tell people the when, why, where and how of May Day and, um, you know, get people, uh, you know, interested in not only its history, but in, you know, how that history informs sort of the movements today and the struggles today um, uh, through art, through design, um, and also like, you know, in a lot of the other work that's going on. Um, but yeah, just in, in terms of like, you know, making sure people know where to go and, and uh, you know, even for things like this Art Build event. <laughs> You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or sign up for our newsletter to get links to what we talk about on the show. Uh, you can do that on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at NYCRPM. Today, um, we are talking about uh, direct actions, um, the managing and leading that our martial organizers do at direct actions, and uh, tomorrow's great celebration of workers, May Day. Um, so... I just want to, again, give a shout out to Ethan for that great interview that uh, I probably could have edited a little bit better. <laughs> um, and uh, for all the work he does behind the scenes for this show and for so many other um, events and uh, campaigns for NYCDSA. Uh, so um, before we dive into the specific um, protest uh, tomorrow that we want to focus on, um, do uh, either of you just want to give a quick little recap of um, the protests that uh, NYC DSA has been involved in over the past uh, couple of years? Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh. Oh, sorry. yeah, last year uh, for May Day, NYC DSA, amongst like a, a larger coalition of other leftist mm -hmm. groups, which is um, International Socialist Organization, International Women's Strike, um, lots of other folks, Basically, we rallied in Union Square and then marched from one rally that was happening in Union Square, which is another large leftist coalition, to um, Washington Square Park. So we took University Place, so we took the entire street with about 600 people. Um, it was pretty amazing. It was unpermitted. Um, it took a lot of planning and a lot of very careful scouting. Um, uh, we were going, it was a pretty short street, but we were going against traffic, so it was intense. Um, but we were able to have the street shut down um, and successfully got to the end of the march where we joined a protest that was um, hosted by Workmen's Circle with a bunch of different labor unions and um, another coalition in Washington Square Park. So that was just a very amazing, empowering action. It was incredible. It was a 
ton of work. <laughs> and I was so, there. It was, it was also, yeah. it was very fun too. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, was and then yeah. we uh, packed a bar afterwards. Yes. Um, yeah, saying. Yeah. Peculiar <laughs> Pub, which this year, um, IWW is doing a fundraiser at Peculiar Pub um, at 6 p.m. So oh, we'd love to encourage people to go support um, incarcerated workers and other projects the IWW is working on um, at Peculiar Pub from 6 to 10 tomorrow. So. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. All right, so um, I guess we can make it. Well, do either of you want to talk about the Red Rabbits at all? Or we sure, yeah. Red Rabbits is um, the name of the Marshall team that we've been talking about. Um, the name of the group was taken from the book Watership Down, um, sort of to suggest that you know Marshalls were not there to be the boss of anybody. We're not there to tell anybody what to do. We're not police. Um, but we're there to be fast and agile and smart and to kind of like outsmart the state um, because we're smaller than the state, but we could be faster and slipperier, so. Yeah, just um, that, that quote comes from like the idea in the book that rabbits are the animals with a thousand enemies. Yeah. Um, but there's like a quote, be cunning and full of tricks and your people shall never be defeated. So that's sort of the martial. Uh, Sam Natale came up whatever. with that one. He's a comrade who's now in the Midwest, but who helped start the Marshall team. So. It's very poetic, and I think it's a great name for the Marshalls, right. and I'm happy that we specifically were able to bring up that that is what the Marshalls are referred to, because I keep just saying the Marshalls. <laughs> Red <laughs> Rabbits is more fun. <laughs> um, so um, for the uh, protest tomorrow, uh, I mean, there's going to be a lot of actions happening across the city but um, there is one that NYC DSA has specifically endorsed. And uh, would either of you like to explain that a little bit more? Sure. Um, I'll talk about the logistics of it real quick, and then Emmy can talk about kind of the ideology behind it, I guess. That's so, perfect. Yeah, so um, NYC DSA has a contingent within the very large New York Immigration Coalition's action tomorrow. Um, so DSA, our contingent will be assembling by the sort of statue fountain thing that's on the edge of Central Park, um, right across from Columbus Circle, and we'll mm-hmm. assemble there at 5 p.m. The action starts at 530. Um, so folks who want to hang with NYCDSA want to show up. Um, it's at the southwest corner of Central Park. Um, again, right across from Columbus Circle. Come hang out with us. Even if you're not a member, we'd love to see you. Um, there'll be lots of other groups. Um, there, PSC. Uh, there's just like a huge laundry list of um different organizations and you know some unions or caucuses within unions that are going to be present at the event um we're encouraging folks to wear red uh if you can um so we can kind of be this like you know red intense presence (laughs) um and then we'll be marching yeah yeah we'll be marching from columbus circle to trump tower um there'll be speakers at the rally um probably at the end of the march as well it is permitted um so if folks are nervous about arrest risks or you know um immigration status job status or anything like that um i think this is a safe march to encourage folks to go to because unlike last year's there's a permit um and the the coalition is large enough to where this is a i think you're not we're not like taking a street when we're not supposed to be <laughs> so, yeah yeah and uh, i can just talk for a moment um kind of about the the link i guess between um may day and like worker struggle and immigrant struggle um so as we kind of already alluded to um i mean to take this back to the very beginning to 1886 like chicago was a majority foreign-born city at the time and the people who um, were doing this organizing and who carried this out were mostly immigrants. Um, in fact, I think all eight of the people convicted after Haymarket were immigrants. Um, and it kind of set off at the time um, in a lot of like the public imagination, this huge fear of like immigrants slash radicals um, as being dangerous. It sort of set off, in fact, the first uh, like Red Scare in the U.S. Um, and so I think it's... Uh, really shows like the history of how linked um, worker struggle and immigrant struggle is, but is also really beautiful that especially in recent years, um, May Day has come to be particularly associated again um, 
or sort of particularly um, taken up again by the immigrant movement, especially since 2006 when there was a massive um, movement and a strike. It was called A Day Without Immigrants. Um, and they chose May Day to do that. Um, and last year uh, as well, here in, um, here in New York, our DSA action was particularly sort of focused around immigrant justice. Um, and it is again this year. Um, just to kind of, yeah, underscore um, again that like immigrant rights are workers' rights and workers' rights are immigrants' rights. Um, they're absolutely inseparable and you can't meaningfully work for one without the other. Um, and one of, you know, the, the most unfortunately uh, effective but most like terrible and wrong lies that the bosses and the capitalists love to perpetuate is... Uh, to pit workers, and particularly to pit uh, native-born or citizen workers against immigrant workers, um, because they are afraid of the power of an actual uh, borderless international movement of worker solidarity. And so um, we do a lot of work. You know, I've been involved with the immigrant justice work here at NYCDSA for a while. Um, we do a lot of work um, trying to not necessarily um, labor work specifically, but all of the work that we do um, with an immigrant justice focus is, you know, with the idea that people, um, you can't organize, you can't labor, you can't live your life if you are afraid of being evicted um, because you're an immigrant or if you are afraid of showing up to court because you're an immigrant. Um, all of this, you know, it's all of these struggles are incredibly um, interlinked. I think you just made a lot of really incredible points that I want to continue uh, to discuss. But first, I just want to uh, open up the phone lines because we have around 10 minutes left in the show. And we uh, love to hear from our listeners and, you know, call in, uh, talk to us about May Day, about immigrant justice, about anything uh, you please. You can call us at 212-209-2877. That is 212-209-2877. And I uh, like the point that uh, you were making, Emmy, about how um, it's the it's it's really the oldest tactic in the book um, to divide uh, workers against themselves rather than having them come together in solidarity and recognizing that while they have particular and individual experiences that are different, they are united in the same long-term struggle. And that is against the people who own the society and force them to work for them yeah. so they can live. So I think it's it's not just like a moral standpoint and obviously it is the moral correct thing to do to stand with um, these migrants and immigrants as they face the, the terror of the state. I mean, the, we have concentration camps on our borders, and yeah. that's something that people yeah. have to think about every day. And they're coming from countries that our government destroyed. Yeah. And yeah. that also has to always be brought in, that people have the right to stay as well, and that they are being forced out of their country because mm -hmm. we back the most violent forces there. But it is so important and necessary if we want to build the world um, where you know we're all empowered in our everyday lives, where there's real worker democracy, real worker ownership, socialism, then we have to be fighting for immigrants on every front, standing with them in solidarity and working, building like the institutions that kind of can break down these national divisions that pit people yeah. against each other. Absolutely, working towards, you know, uh, a society where workers are front and center and workers' needs are front and center, not people's needs is based on you know what side of an arbitrary border they were born on or what circumstances under which they were born. It looks like we have a caller uh, live on WBAI. Hey, how's it going? You are live on Revolutions Per Minute. What's your name and your question? My name is Eric, and I have a slight correction to the history of the Haymarket uh, uprising. We're happy to hear One it. Of the one of the people, Albert Parsons, was in fact not an immigrant, but was was, assass was killed. Uh, oh yeah, he was the former Confederate who changed his ways. Right, right, and he married Lucy Parsons, who who fought for for the same things her whole life. 
And I have to say one other thing. I belong to DSA when I'm still DSOC. I don't want to go into those details now. But hearing you tonight reminds me of a time when my grandfather came to this country escaping from Poland. He was a Bundist and had to come to the country illegally to get here. And his friends, his old friends, were in the working circle. I'm glad to say the working circle, which had a period of conservative movement, has moved back to its roots. They worked with the IWW. And I'm seriously thinking about rejoining DSA because you're rebuilding the movement that was before the First World War. And thank you for doing it. Thank you so much, and uh, we really hope that you follow through and join. It looks like we have another caller. Hey, you're live on Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI. What's your name and what's your question? Hey, um, this is Maddie from New York City. Um, it was great to hear you, Emmy and Ariel. Um, I appreciate y'all very much. I was wondering if you have favorite chants that people should be prepared to, to chant tomorrow. Oh, that's a good question. There was one, Ariel, you might have come up with this, I don't remember, that we did last year that was, um, well, we kind of did this actually more like to get people psyched for May Day than during the, um, the march itself, but it was like a call and response, what day is May Day, May Day is our day. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but, oh, we should revive that, too. I also, I like the classic anti-capitalista. Um, oh, that's yeah. what I had that's in my, my head, favorite. too. I was about to say, that's so much fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It really slaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for calling, Maddie. Uh, we've got another caller live on WBAI. Hey, you're on Revolutions Per Minute. What's your name? What's your question? Hi, uh, my name is Jesse. Um, my question is, well, first of all, I just wanted to say uh, Maddie and Ariel are so great. Um, so I'm kind of interested in the Red at Rabbit. So what would I do to be able to join? Well, you can send an email to nycdsamarshals at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you. We schedule trainings usually once a month or every other month. Um, we train DSA members across the country, um, people who aren't DSA members. Also, um, it's a three-hour-long training about um, we've got a field day coming up um, that's going to have trainings at the end of May. So if you just drop us a line... Um, or just touch base with NYC DSA from the DSA website. Um, they'll put you in touch with us. So This is open even to people from Jersey, right? Absolutely. We love our Jersey comrades. <laughs> we are uh, both international but also interstate. Oh, yeah. Not just restricted <laughs> to New York City. <laughs> no borders anywhere. <laughs> There's a lot of New Jersey folks who marshal with NYC DSA, um, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah. I'm working on refraining from New Jersey jokes as I uh, try to abolish all borders. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, all right. It looks like that's all from the callers for now. But uh, if I keep calling in, we're hearing some really great stuff. Um, so just uh, to recap a little bit, uh, I just I mean, well, I can't uh, I'm not allowed to tell people to go do things uh, or they will shut the station down. But uh, can you guys, um, you know, let people uh, inform people about the actions uh coming up uh, tomorrow and anything in the future that they can get involved with. Yeah, yeah. So other than the NYIC march that's happening in the evening, if folks are free on their lunch break um, in the middle of the day, at noon there's going to be a walkout at the new school. Um, that's at the University Center. So it's near the um, 14th Street M or L stops. Um, and showing solidarity with student workers and graduate workers there is wonderful. Um so I believe there'll be a rally, show up to that. Um, and then if you're uptown in Harlem, East Harlem, the Laundry Workers Center has an event there rallying in solidarity with, um, I believe, the TYS Laundry Workers. Um, this is a laundromat uptown. Workers are fighting for their rights there. Um, as you can imagine, organizing laundromats in New York City is kind of a mind-blowing task. <laughs> so that rally is also at noon. Um, it is at 215 East 116th Street. Um, and then again, IWW has a fundraiser at Peculiar Pub from 6 to 10 p.m. So I think a percentage of the proceeds from the bar go to IWW. And um, DSA's chorus is going to be there um, doing some songs. It should be a really fun wrap-up after the May Day rally, which again, 5 p.m. Columbus Circle. Just a uh, fun fact really quick. Lucy Parsons, who was uh, 
one of the main organizers of Haymarket uh, and managed to get out alive. Um, she went on to help found the IWW in 1905. Yeah, also Lucy and Albert Parsons apparently almost didn't want to help lead the march on May Day because they thought it wasn't quite radical enough because it wasn't calling for full revolution. But then I guess when they saw the mass movement that was behind um, the demand for the eight-hour workday, they you know, got on board. So, yeah. And a slightly less fun fact is that <laughs> as the IWW is still around, which is great, the Pinkertons are also still around and they are preparing wow. for uh, climate change to, as a, an economic opportunity to... S- kill uh, workers yet again. So uh, I think that really highlights the need um, for us to be organized um, and out in the streets building power. And it was really amazing to hear uh, today about all the great work that the Red Rabbits are doing in NYC DSA to really uh, create a safe um, environment that allows people to demonstrate um, not just what they believe in, but as a mechanism for empowering themselves and all the people in their lives. And uh, I hope uh, to see many people out there tomorrow at all the great events, standing up for immigrants' rights and workers' rights, which are one and the same. So thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. You have been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI and streaming on all your favorite podcast apps. Um, We will be back next week. Uh, There's also May Day uh, shows from 3 to 5 tomorrow on WBAI. So if you – 3 to 8. Oh, great. So even more content. So listen to that while you're at the protests. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for listening.